Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about tenacity and the Brexit win, impeachment, witnesses, dismiss, fight, and bail reform and sanctuary and death. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Big news out of England today Boris Johnson was able to announce that the UK has completed all of the steps necessary, all of the legal hurdles for the UK to withdraw its membership in the European Union. The official date of the withdrawal is January 31st, it's the end of this month, but the announcement of all legal hurdles passed was today. And I want to take a moment to talk about what this symbolizes for President Trump, for America, and for the world. The European Union was founded, I think like in 1993. This was the beginning of the mindset that was growing and growing inside the UN and inside the kind of elite world leaders that you would, countries would be better off and the European Union member countries would be better off to abandon their individual sovereign identity and to instead come together as part of the European Union. Now they didn't, the countries did not officially dissolve their own governments, but they surrendered their sovereign authority, their identity, their trade deals. They surrendered their right to rule themselves to the European Union. And there were arguments about each of the countries in Europe is small and to compete in a world market. There were great reasons with respect to trade, economics, maybe other things that would drive them to think they'd be a bigger player in the world scene if they banded together as the European Union. But what evolved and kind of in in a similar pattern evolving around the world and the growth of the power of the UN, the insistence of the UN in governing more and more aspects of individual sovereign nations, laws and lives, the European, European Union grew to be an oppressive and socialist globalist mindset, including dictating to member nations all sorts of policies and issues that those member nations did not want to follow. So the European Union, even if you say from the start it was a brilliant economic idea, it evolved into a little mini fiefdom or a little uh, ruling authority over its member nations. And so there were stories, we talked about them on the show over the years, you know, stories about businesses in various member countries that found the oppressive, found the regulations that the EU required, imposed on them as oppressive. And the UK especially found many of the European Union, and it became almost like nanny state, but nanny state sounds too um, soft or too gentle a criticism. It became globalist in mindset, it became socialist in mindset, and it was very dictatorial toward member nations. So the UK became unhappy in its membership with the European Union, and people in the UK drove 
the vote, eventually brought about the vote, and it was like in June of 20, yeah, June, June 23rd, 2016, where the citizens of the UK voted to leave. That was the big referendum, June of 2016, you could vote leave the European Union or remain in the European Union. And the leave voters won. The majority of voters said, we want to get the UK back out of the European Union. And to be really clear, it wasn't just issues about trade, and it wasn't just, I remember there was a particular case that uh, many, uh, that became kind of a cause celebrity was about people who said they were, they, were, uh, they were farmers and they manufactured butter, they produced butter, and the butter or the dairy that they ha owned produced butter, and the butter didn't quite meet the standards of the European Union, uh, whatever it was, content of, of whatever, fat, whatever it was. So the point was, People who had produced and dairies had produced butter in the UK for years couldn't do it anymore until they bent their their changed their whole system to comply with the UK. But there was also a spirit within the UK that said, we, the sovereign people with our identity as a nation, we want to decide our refugee policy. We in the UK understand we've been overrun with refugees and we're having a major, major problem with Islamic refugees coming to England, establishing no-go zones, forcing their culture on the UK, refusing to assimilate, refusing to comply with Western civilization standards that had been, that had thrived in the UK for centuries. There was a, a sense of resurgence of the, the uh, identity of the UK, of the want to, have, want to have their traditions, their culture, their standards, their laws be applicable again without the, the heavy hand of the EU. So the people in the UK had this vote, June of 2016, and we are now in January of 2020, and only now at the end of this month did the voters of the UK finally achieve getting that vote brought to fruition. You had opposition from globalists, leftists, socialists, UN types, the big government advocates around the world, the American left, the left and all throughout Europe, the leftist governments all throughout Europe, all of those entities weighing in on, arguing against the vote of the people of the UK. So you had those mindsets determined to say to the people of UK, we don't really care what you want your country to be. We don't really care what you think your country is. We know better for you and we're going to stop you. And then you had the legal battles that went on. These are within the government of the UK. These are the legal battles that went on within, uh, between the two political parties, or the more than two political parties, the, the two prominent political parties within parliament. You had, you had the royal family, you had the prime minister, everybody involved in this, this you know, four year long or three and a half year long battle to put in place the will of the people of the UK. So I celebrate today with them to celebrate the idea. All the hurdles are passed. The royal family has signed on. The parliament has no, no place to go. Everything left are just formalities. But I want to talk about this story as a launching point for today's show to say this. The mindset you saw in the people who fought against the, the voters of the UK, the opponents of this vote to Brexit, to bring about the British exit from the EU, that mindset is prevalent 
around the world. It's prevalent in America, and it is what we faced in the elections of 2020, and frankly, for many years to come. There are simply people in this world, leftists, radical leftists, globalists, socialists, who reject the idea that the identity of an individual country matters, that sovereignty of an individual nation matters. The 2020 elections will be again replaying many of the issues in the 2016 uh, election in America. The idea of Donald Trump bringing forth of the resurgence of the identity of America, the purpose of America, the place of America, the right of Americans to make policy based on their own people's needs and desires and to keep America strong. It doesn't mean closing borders. It doesn't mean no immigration. It doesn't, it has nothing to do with race or ethnicity but it has to do with the core values of the founding of America. The ideas in our Declaration of Independence, and our Constitution, the ideas that we have rights from God as our creator to live in freedom. These ideas are the core behind America. They're what, there are the core ideas behind what Donald Trump ran on, and they're the core ideas that drive leftists, globalists, and socialists out of their minds. So yay for Brexit, yay for the UK for finally bringing this to fruition and understand this is a battle going on in America and around the world. The battle for sovereignty, the freedom of the individual versus the determination of leftist minded people to impose a socialist globalist worldview on them. We should take heart because the people in the UK did not give up once they realized leftists in their government were fighting against them. They didn't give up when they understood that the EU was going to put tripwires in place and try to prevent them. They persisted in demanding their freedom, just as we must do in America in 2020. And that, my friends, is today's first five. I want to turn and talk about uh, the impeachment. You know, I um, try not to talk about it every single day, but there is, unfortunately, there's a lot of news about it, and some of it's really good. And I want to just uh, run through where we are on this. So the Senate, United States Senate, which has majority Republicans, are now hearing the uh, House managers designated by Nancy Pelosi present their case uh, to the Senate about the two articles of impeachment they brought against President Trump. And then we will have the uh, representatives of the president bringing forth his defense. I want to hit a bunch of points. I think it really matters to understand because you will hear from your friends and people who believe they're politically well-informed that, you know, there are all sorts of reasons that uh, we need a full trial, that we should have witnesses. Every witness should be able to come forth or that you should have the, uh, there are many people advocating for the moment the House managers finish their case presenting to the Senate arguing for impeachment that the president's lawyer should move for dismissal. All sorts of opinions floating around. And I want to talk about those issues because they actually matter to how this impeachment process plays out in the media and in the American election in 2020. But to start with, uh, there was a clip from President Trump. I played a portion yesterday, but other comments President Trump made during the time he was still at Davos at the uh, World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, he made some comments. I played some yesterday. I'm going to play a little bit more today. And they're hitting on three things. The questioner is basically asking, you know, why isn't Giuliani, the re question from the reporter, why isn't Giuliani, your favorite, um, you know, lawyer, why isn't he defending you, part of the defense team in the Senate? Uh, 
What do you think about Ken Starr? You used to criticize Ken Starr, and, you, and President Trump has said some pretty harsh things about Ken Starr, and now Ken Starr is right there on the president's defense team. And the reporter's asking about, do you, President Trump, want to be there? Do you want to be in the Senate to appear at your own impeachment trial? So I asked Matt, the very wonderful, I believe he has put together some clips uh, from President Trump at Davos answering those questions. Here you go. At your trial. Number two, you called Kenneth Starr a disaster in the past. Do you still feel that way about him now? And three, Love Parnas has come forward and said that you knew everything that he was doing in no, He's a con man. Okay. okay so Ready? Let me answer that's that not one. True? I don't know him. Okay, other than he's uh, sort of like a groupie. He shows up at fundraisers. Okay, so I don't know anything about him. I watched Rudy. Rudy is a terrific person, great crime fighter, the best mayor in the history of New York City by far, solved the crime problem in New York. And I think it's very unfair the way the media has treated Rudy Giuliani, I will say this. Uh, Parnas, I don't know, other than he probably contributed to the campaign along with tens of thousands of other people. Uh, and I take, I mean, I was this weekend, I was taking pictures with hundreds of people. Uh, they, they're, they contribute to the Republican Party, and I stand there and I take pictures, and every once in a while I look at somebody, I say, gee, I wonder when that picture is going to be in the New York Times or the Washington Post or on Fox. Uh, you know, so it's one of those things. I think Rudy is a high-quality person. So why is he not on your legal team? Why is he because not I don't want, I don't want there to be a conflict. I'd love to have Rudy on my team, but, you know, he could be a witness at some point if this whole sham continues. Uh, I would love to have Rudy on the team. He, Rudy is on my team, just so you understand. But I'd love to have him up there. But it could be that he'd have a conflict. Kenneth Starr, how do you feel about so that? So Ken Starr is a, a uh, terrific man. I did make that statement because, frankly, I didn't think that uh, Bill Clinton should have been impeached. And I thought it was terrible. I didn't know Ken Starr, but I didn't think that Bill Clinton should be impeached, should have been impeached. Uh, and I was pretty vocal about that. Uh, I didn't know Ken, but what I did know is he was very smart, he was very tough, he was very talented. But in a certain way, I was sticking up for Clinton, for Bill Clinton. And, uh, you know, I felt, I sort of still feel that way. I mean, what he did was nothing good. There was a lot of lying going on. There were a lot of things, a lot of bad things. Now, with me, there's no lying, there's no nothing. They have nothing. They don't even have a crime. They say there's the only one that's ever been impeached, and he didn't commit a crime. I didn't commit a crime. And then you get into high crimes and misdemeanors. But I didn't commit a crime. So, no, I have great respect for Ken, but I didn't think, frankly, that Bill Clinton should have been impeached. So what do you think? Will you show up at your trial any day? I'd love to go. Wouldn't that be great? So Wouldn't that be beautiful? Go? I don't know. I'd sort of love sit right in the front row and stare at their corrupt faces. I'd love to do it. Okay. I wanted to play that in part because this is a little bit of echoing things I said yesterday, but this is a president. He is not feeling guilty. He is, has a clear conscience. He knows what happened with the Ukrainian president. He understands there's nothing about his conduct that is actually the source of the mission of the Democrats to impeach him. And he's just, okay, getting up there and talking. I love the spirit. I did want to address because people do ask about what, what about Giuliani? He's such a great 
you know, lawyer and, and well-respected and friend of, the, of Trump. Why isn't he in this, in the defense team? And, and obviously Trump answered that question, but of course, you know, it may be that the Democrats get around to witnesses. Uh, this Lev Parnas guy, wasn't gonna spend much time on him, but this is a complete, as Trump said, didn't even know him. He kind of was a flash in the pan for the Democrats a, a week ago or so, saying, oh, now we got real junk. They have nothing, he has nothing. President Trump doesn't even know him. And then Ken Starr, you know, this point about bringing Ken Starr on um, is a really, uh, I think for some people who thought they did a gotcha question at President Trump, well, you used to criticize Ken Starr. And you know, Trump's point, he did not think that there should have been an impeachment of President Bill Clinton on the facts, which brought about his impeachment. I happen to agree with him. I, I don't like President Bill Clinton's conduct. I found it reprehensible and it was fair fodder for critique and fair fodder for people saying, you know, he's not to be trusted. But I, I didn't think impeachment, the, the gravitas, the seriousness that impeachment is supposed to involve, I didn't think that standard was met in that case. I guess that's what, what President Trump thinks too. But I want to hit a bunch of points about this impeachment as we go forward. Uh, number one, there are people, very serious conservatives, lawyers arguing that the moment the House managers finish presenting their case on impeachment, that it is so ridiculous, so weak, so unwarranted, so, so beneath the dignity of intelligent people to have to listen to, that President Trump's lawyers ought to just move to dismiss at that moment. I agree with the characterization that everything the Democrats are bringing to this impeachment is, doesn't even come in the ballpark of impeachable under the Constitution standards. It is blatantly political, clearly blatantly political, unjustified, just, it's an outrage. It's an affront to the Constitution. But I think the president's team is smarter to take the time, instead of moving to dismiss, to take the time to make their case, to make their presentation. Because in part, for the Americans who are paying attention, they actually need to, need to hear what the president's lawyers have to say. That's one reason. Another is, if the lawyers for the president move for impeachment the moment the House managers are done with their farce sham of a case, you could have people conclude that the only reason President Trump got acquitted by the Senate was just straight out partisan, Republicans happen to have the majority, and so they just dismiss the Democrats. You, you open yourself to that argument that the president didn't really have much of a defense to offer, or there weren't legitimate points to be made. And actually, Jay Sekulow, brilliant lawyer, one of the lawyers representing Trump in this impeachment hearing in the Senate, Jay Sekulow made that point that I want the opportunity to present my case. I want our side to have our case heard and then they decide, the process is, then they decide whether or not to move to dismiss. So I think that's the right call, not to just jump on your feet the moment they're done, move to dismiss. It's possible that, I mean, it sends a signal of this is so ridiculous, can we all just agree it's ridiculous and go home? But I think there needs to be a voice for the president there for the American people and for those who might otherwise conclude he doesn't have a good defense. Uh, second point, big argument on witnesses. In the perfect world, if the witnesses could be presented uh, and every, every side got all the witnesses they wanted, you might be able to argue that, you know, you love to have the whole big case heard. You love to have every witness 
who will uh, expose the, uh, you know, which includes, of course, uh, Adam Schiff is as a witness because his office was in cahoots with Eric Charmella, the super secret whistleblower guy. Uh, you'd like to have the people on Schiff's staff who coordinated with a super secret whistleblower uh, in coming up with his complaint. You'd like to have people, I mean, there are just a loo, is a long list you could make. And maybe you can make the argument that when all of that is out there, Maybe the net benefit is that President Trump's, that the, that the proof that his entire impeachment is just a, a, a furthering of the witch hunt that started the moment that he was elected, the furthering of the effort to re- impeach him from the moment he won the election. You may be able to help yourself and have more people see more clearly how this is impeachment is just a political sham. But I think ultimately, it drags it out too long into a 2020 election year. You also get to wondering a little bit about, you know, whether some little piece of uh, statement or piece of evidence by some witness, somehow the media gloms onto and contorts and manipulates and exaggerates. Then you have a whole new set of issues that you've got to deal with in bringing other witnesses. It's a can of worms to bring witnesses. And so even though I would love to have the whole story out there, because I think that not only would President Trump be further vindicated, but I think the Democrats' uh, effort at just a sham impeachment would be even more uh, widely and, and deeply exposed. But, okay, third thing, attorneys general, 21 attorneys general in this great country sent a letter to the Senate. These are Republican individuals who serve in the attorney general role in their respective states. 21 of them sent a letter to the Senate and to talk about how dangerous this is that the Democrats in Washington are going to move forward with this impeachment when everyone in the country can see it is simply a political sham. It is a political uh, anti-Trump. We never liked this guy. We found a reason. Maybe we can get rid of him. So they sent a very lengthy letter. And I want to tell you, I linked to the letter on my website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links. You can read the lengthy letter. Even though it was written by lawyers, it's pretty much in plain English. You could read it. You could see what they had to say. I think it's really important to understand this is uncommon to have these state attorneys general who have no role in the impeachment. They don't have a vote. They don't have a say, but they can see the danger that is being created for America's future. If you're going to let a party that happens to have the majority in the House, happens to despise the president, pounce and bring about articles of impeachment when there's no crime alleged. It's simply a political disagreement. It's a completely partisan political attack. Not one Republican's on board in the whole U.S. House with what the Democrats did. And they're raising the flag to say, if we're going to start playing games, allowing the use of this serious, serious provision in the Constitution to remove, to overthrow an election that the American people, the president they chose, it's a serious and dangerous precedent, a slippery slope, my term, slippery slope down the hill to where we no longer think of impeachment as a very serious thing. So these attorneys general sent that letter. Uh, there were several great quotes from it, but I can't go through them all right now. I want to encourage you to actually read that letter and, and um, just keep in mind, this is not that common for people to do that. The last thing I want to hit on this story about impeachment today has to do with Senator 
Mitch, uh, Mitt Romney. Okay, Mitt Romney ran for president, as you likely recall, had zero backbone, could not bring himself to even critique the laundry list of things every Republican in the country could have critiqued of President Obama's conduct in the first term, couldn't do it, could not do it. No backbone at all, but now he's in the U.S. Senate, Romney having been elected to the Senate from the state of Utah in 2018, and he sent this dripping with arrogance and, and, and uh, erudite elitism, sent a letter, Romney did, to his constituents in the state of Utah and basically just dripping with superiority and condescension. And I realize this is so serious and, and I, you know, I'm going to bring my very best to it. These are very serious allegations. And so he sent this letter basically saying, don't worry, I, I'm on it. I'm representing you. I'm going to take this seriously. I'm going to listen to the evidence. I'm going to be a great guy. I mean, just self-promoting, full of himself, pomposity. I don't know if that's the word, but it should be. Pompousness, pomposity. And the great thing is, I want to mention a couple of things about that. Number one, his polling numbers, his support in the state of Utah is tanking. That's the first thing. Mitt Romney thought he was signaling how virtuous and noble and elite and ruling class he is. And aren't they so lucky to have him? And the people in Utah are much smarter than Mitt Romney. They're much smarter because they can see what this impeachment is. It is simply a partisan political witch hunt. The voters can see it, and I don't know whether Mitt Romney can see it. Does he really see what this impeachment is really all about? But he can't, he hates Trump so much, he figures he's gonna try to pretend there's merit to it. Or is he so unintelligent that he actually, or too intellectual, to ever see the forest for the trees, that he's caught up in the you know, legal intricacies and he can't see all this is, is a partisan witch hunt. I don't know which it is, but in any case, he has proved, heaven forbid this man ever run for president again, ever be taken seriously again. And I do, I feel the same way about the other Republican senators who are trying to signal and convey their, um, you know, their great respect for the process and great respect for our friends across the aisle and the Democrats and great respect for their the, the noble effort they're making to uphold the rule of law and the Constitution. All this garbage spewing out of the mouths of some Republicans. The fact is the American people in many ways are smarter than their elected officials. They can see what this impeachment is and they want to see the Republicans in the Senate give it the back of the hand. Let the House present their case. Let the president's lawyers present his case and slap it down. I am impossibly troubled and disappointed, but not surprised at all by Mitt Romney in this. I, I, I can't even care. I'm not going to read the whole letter to you, but I encourage you to go read it on my website uh, because, I mean, I, I thought it was just amazingly predictable and wonderful that his poll numbers are falling and falling. The people in Utah are waiting to see him stand up and wake up and the light bulb will go off in his head and say, oh wait, there's nothing to this at all. It is simply an attack from the political opposition who, who are just outraged that President Trump had the nerve to win the election of 2016. 
Last topic I want to hit, and this is actually, you know, uh, getting off the impeachment, which I love getting off the impeachment. But, you know, I, um, in 2020, we have these elections coming up. And, you know, I remember in 2016 doing this show how I started talking about the 2016 elections pretty early in 2016 and even a little bit at the end of 2015. And I, I would get some listeners saying, that is months away. That's really far away. You know, why, we'll, that, you wait till we get closer. But I got to tell you, folks, the elections of 2020 are shaping up. And I know people say this. They've said this for every political election since I've been you know, aware of politics, since I've been tuned into politics, which has been a long time. People say this is the most important election of your lifetime. But it is. 2020 is the most important election of our lifetime. One of the reasons it's important is because we're more able to see what motivates leftism in this country, the radical leftism that owns the Democrat Party, what motivates them versus what motivates the conservatives, the GOP, the Republicans, the patriots, the real Americans. It is more stark than ever. I want to hit the topic, though, of bail reform, sanctuary cities, and the death that it brings. In the city of New York City, it's funny to say it that way, city of New York City, but uh, there has the uh, ICE, you know, the federal agency ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, is so irate at the officials of New York City because they simply will not support the um, ICE. They won't follow federal law. They won't follow the immigration laws. They won't turn over to ICE, people who should be turned over to ICE, that ICE is essentially going around the New York City officials and saying, here are a list of people, nine fugitive illegal immigrants who were released by the New York City sanctuary city policy here are their pictures. Here are their names. Here, you know, here's what they've done. Here are the crimes we know they've committed. So ICE, the federal agency, going around the city of New York City, the government, and saying, look, you got to look at who these people are. So they have a list of non-illegal immigrants released by New York City, uh, describing what they've done. And it's basically to get around, to, to point out the American people, the sanctuary city policy that says we will not turn over criminals to ICE when, they've, when they are otherwise to be released because we, the leftists who support sanctuary city policies, we care more about protecting illegal aliens' ability to stay in this country than we do about the safety and security of the people of our state. That's what they're saying. That is what the Democrat Party is saying. You don't get to be a Democrat in this country and run for Congress and say, well, I, you know, I, I'm really for law and order. Yeah, I, I like law and order, but you know, I'm okay with sanctuary cities. The concept of sanctuary cities is that people who've committed crimes and who have no legal right to be here are not going to be turned over to the authorities. And this is a policy, this, you know, sanctuary city embraced by many, many prominent Democrats and this is the federal agency ICE pointing out, look at these people. Listen to these numbers. I'm going to tell you just one story. I was going to put their pictures up, but honestly, they're, they're just too painful to even look at. But there was a young man, a guy who was uh, arrested in New York City 
released by, sorry, released by ICE, um, who left uh, his, the custody of ICE, and then he was arrested. This guy is Reyaz Khan, age 21. Reyaz Khan walked free without bail in November after being arrested on assault and gun charges in late November. And six weeks later, illegal alien should have been turned over to ICE Sanctuary city policy prevented that. Six weeks later, he committed the murder of a 92-year-old woman, Maria Fuentes, in Queens. Not just murder. Maria Fuentes, 92 years old, went out to the local little store, walked down the street to a store to buy cat food, coming home, and was accosted by, from the back, sexually assaulted, understand, raped, a 21-year-old guy, raping a 92-year-old woman before he then murdered her. You have to let that sink in. When these stories get published, leftist outlets complain. Leftist outlets say, now you're sensationalizing this, you're making people, you're... There's no exaggeration about that story. That's exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. And when you say you're a leftist in this country, you're a Democrat, and, and you're, you know, sanctuary cities, they're about protecting our, these poor you know, people who really want to come to America for a better life. You have to, t you, you own that. You own that story. You own that. That is your albatross around your neck. And there are, there's story after story after story after story in New York City about people who have been arrested for crimes where they, sh they should have been held, but we have sanctuary city policies, so they, rather than holding them or turning over to ICE, they get released, and then you have actual death of innocent citizens happening. ICE also is released the names of six more people who are in custody, who they suspect that the New York police authorities are about to release, and saying, hey, yeah, you better watch out. Here are their names, here are their faces, here's what they've done and the New York City police are about to release them. You can't blame the police because often the police don't like these sanctuary city policies, but they don't get to make those policies. So you have the left standing up for sanctuary city policies, refusing to turn people over to ICE, leading directly to the death of Americans. I just told you one story. I could tell you story after story after story. Similarly, on the left, in this battle for America in 2020, you have the growth of these bail reform policies. The argument for these bail reform policies is that some people arrested for relatively minor crimes and they get put in jail and they are poor or they, they don't have sufficient funds, they can't come up with the bail money. So the answer of the leftists is, well, then we have to have bail reform. They can't afford to post bail. And so they stay in jail awaiting their trial. And while they're in jail awaiting trial, they miss paternity payments, they miss work, they lose their jobs. All these stories that may indeed be happening, but the bail reform effort is to basically stop having bail applied in cases where bail probably should be applied. Now bail, you understand, the point of bail is to try to kind of buy the commitment of the person who's been arrested that they'll show up for trial. Get some money out of their pocket and they don't get it back unless they show up 
at their hearing date or their trial date. That's the point of bail. And so all these bail reform advocates are saying, well, I know, but you know, look what happens to them. And you know, can't we just trust them or let's not have bail. So here we have, um, we have numerous stories again in New York. We have, uh, I'm gonna hit on Dallas too, because Dallas has this problem. Texas has this problem too, but in New York, um, they have family members now and this is in New York, a state law, this bail reform state law. We have family members lobbying the state of New York to say, are you kidding me? You let these people who killed our family members back out of jail? You let them walk? And so I want to just tell you just a few of these stories. Um, there is a... Um, the, the new bail law in New York, I think it just became effective January this year, but it was passed last year, and New York City began implementing it last year, even when it wasn't officially law. So you have family members in New York who have had people who've had family members killed by people who should have been kept in jail, who should not have been able to be released to go back out into the citizen, uh, into the citizenry, into our culture, into our, our communities, and then committed worse acts. And so you have New York being, the state of New York being lobbied by all sorts of people saying this bail law, even if it has some good purpose to it, and maybe there are cases in where we could try to help people in, who committed nonviolent crimes to be, you know, to have some other way of getting them to come back instead of a bail that they can't afford to post. But New York is dealing with these stories of people saying, our family member is gone forever because of a policy you put in place. You put a policy in place that hurt our family and this bail reform thing cannot be the right answer. It can't be that the only two choices are let a bunch of people out or have all these stories about people who lose their jobs. There's gotta be a way to protect the people first. Now there's a lot of complexity of the bail reform laws, I just want to hit some basic principles and I'm back to my point in this segment about the 2020 elections and the GOP or, or patriots versus the radical left. The radical left is always looking to find more people they can characterize as victims. They're forever trying to tell the American people, you are victims, you're being treated unfairly, we're on your side, stand with us, we're gonna stand up for you. So they force themselves into ridiculous positions where they're more supportive of releasing dangerous people back into the streets to commit more crime because they have sympathy and they support bail reform. They're more concerned about that than about the safety and security of the American people living in their own jurisdictions, living in their own states. This is what's happening in New York. It's happening in Texas too. So there's a, a concept of, you know, is the primary role of government the safety and security of the people, or is it to protect as far as possible people who commit crime? To, is, it, is the goal to make sure that we soften our laws, protect people who commit crime, soften our bail laws, uh, create sanctuary city policies so we can never, we never turn them over and force them to face the consequences of their entering a country illegally. A third aspect of this, and then I will really get around to 2020, but third aspect in Texas, right here in Dallas, Texas, we have a district attorney, a Democrat district attorney who ran on and has put in place a law that says, if you 
steal. Rob a store or, or a home, you steal, and the value of what you stole is $750 or less, you won't be arrested. You won't be arrested. Now, there was some qualifier put in the beginning, you know, uh, as long as you stole be something like because you really needed to or based on your need. Well, everybody can say, yeah, I stole based on my need. Yeah, I stole this expensive watch, but I was going to sell it to get money to buy food for my mother. I mean, every so no one gets prosecuted for these thefts of $750 or less. Store owners are petitioning the city, petitioning the DA and saying, hey, we cannot afford to have day after day thieves coming in as long as they keep their theft below $750, we can't do a thing about it. Does no good to call the police. The point is you're signaling to people, you're conveying to people, nothing will happen to you if you steal. You're conveying, we really don't have laws that protect businesses or homeowners or private property. Our laws are more concerned with protecting you, the criminal. And so in Dallas, there is a growing there is a growing crime problem. And I don't think it's just because more and more people are stealing things that are cost $750 or less. I don't it's not just that. It is the mindset you are conveying to the citizenry that says you don't really have to follow the law. Come on. I mean, you know, or theft isn't such a big deal. It's such a small amount. You are telling people that you really don't protect businesses and homeowners, you protect criminals. You're telling people pretty much you have a right to steal. Nothing will happen to you. Nothing bad will happen. No one will come and arrest you. And so store owners don't like it. They're moving out of high crime areas. Citizens don't like it. No one likes this, but it gets around to this core point I wanna make in wrapping up the show for today. One of the primary differences between the American view of law and order, the American view held for centuries by our country that is being destroyed by leftists is that you have laws to create civil society. You have a rule of law that means the laws apply to everyone and you apply the law to everyone and you enforce the law because the law is the means of protecting people, of making your country, your state, your city, your neighborhood, your street safe. You have an expectation that others are not going to steal from you. And if they do, the state, the government will do something about it. The presence of law is what creates civil society. The application of law creates civil society. Leftists in this country have become so determined to protect the wrongdoers, to accuse America of being such a horrible country that we really have radical reform of the uh, of criminal justice system needed, of the judicial system, of the laws, that we're in a place where you have bail reform in New York City leading to crime, more crime. In fact, there was a case in New York City, I should bring the details next time, a case in New York City where a woman has been attacking Jewish citizens on the street, people she can tell are Jewish by the way they're dressed, punching them in the face, 
punching them in the gut, attacking them, getting arrested by the New York City police, being released the same day, going out in some cases the very next day, doing the same thing over and over and over. And because this idiotic bail reform, where the person they punched were not, you know, didn't require hospitalization, wasn't killed, wasn't, you know, uh, you know, wasn't seriously injured, this person rotates in and out of the justice system in New York City and there's nothing, apparently, the New York City authorities can do about her. She's anti-Semitic. She hates the Jewish population. She attacks them. And the answer of the left that supports this kind of law is, well, that's the law. We can't do a thing about it. We don't hold her. She's under our bail reform guidelines. We just can't do a thing about it. Folks, we are facing a, a leftist mindset in this country, simply intolerant of the concept that law must be followed, that law must be in place. You, ha you can't have a law that says, steal 750 or less and nothing will happen to you and think that you'll have law and order. You are promoting theft. You're encouraging theft. You are enabling theft. You are causing law-abiding, tax-paying businesses and homeowners to be unsafe. And this is, I'm telling you folks, what we've got in this country, when you make a decision in 2020 who to vote for, whether it's the president or whoever the left has, that idea, understanding the concept of law and order spans from the very top. Do we have a border or not? Do we have an enforceable border? Do we have refugee laws that we apply? Do we have immigration laws that are applied? Or do we have sanctuary city bedlam it's a law and order issue from the top at that level down to the district attorney in dallas county and other and this he's not alone by the way dallas county this is something happening in jurisdictions around this country that the leftist mindset more concerned with being sympathetic with the wrongdoer and enabling the wrongdoer and coddling the wrongdoer than they are in protecting the citizens who pay taxes who therefore pay their salaries, but who pay taxes, who work hard and follow the law. One of the many issues in 2020 is gonna be, do we care if America remains a country dedicated to the rule of law, following the rule of law in all cases? Now I will say, with respect to the bail reform advocates, the criminal justice reform advocates, I am in favor of constant reassessment of our criminal justice system, of assessment of whether there seems to be bias in some way and adjusting for that bias, fixing that bias, addressing the problem. I'm, in fi I'm fine with legislatures looking at laws and saying, you know, in 2020, we're gonna go back and change some of these sentencing parameters for various crimes. We think that, you know, this was passed in a different era, this should change. You can do a lot and you should do a lot as a responsible government to continually assess the criminal justice system. You can even address the young kid who steals something worth $500 and instead of giving them a black mark on their, their record for the rest of their lives, deal with them by saying, you're gonna get arrested, you're gonna have to plead, you're gonna have to admit what you did, but then we're gonna help you move on with your life you can have a criminal justice system that includes helping people get back on track in life, ultimately perhaps even eliminating their criminal record. 
I'm fine with that. I'm fine with ideas that try to bring fairness to our criminal justice system that don't ruin someone's life for a dumb action they committed while a minor or even while an adult. You can make those kinds of changes in the system. But if you change the system to say, it no matter, it no matter, it no longer matters if you steal. It does not matter anymore if you steal. Don't worry, we're just going to ignore it. You invite the bedlam and the chaos that we're now seeing in New York and in places around the country. It's an issue in 2020 of whether or not we're going to commit to keeping America a safe country that invites civil conduct, civil society, and a safe society for everyone. And now my friends, I'll turn to tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. For our first story today, we talked about the um, tenacity and the Brexit win, why it matters. Brexit is the UK's version of the will of the people versus the will of the ruling class elite. From 2016 UK referendum to January 2020 execution, delays, lawsuits, lobbying, political gamesmanship and grandstanding, resignation of Prime Minister Theresa May because she couldn't or wouldn't deliver landslide for the new prime minister boris johnson the will of the british people will finally prevail january 31st 2020. november 2016 was america's first version of the battle of wills november 2020 is round two the american people will and must prevail in 2020 on impeachment witnesses dismiss fight americans have sized up the impeachment sham have tuned out yeah no one's watching it but 21 state attorney generals have urged immediate dismissal after the House presents their opening case. Not because they're big fans of, Trump, of President Donald Trump, but because they see the abuse represented by these articles of impeachment. This threatens the constitutional order if impeachment is used for policy disagreement or political weaponry. Argument against immediate dismissal? The American people need to hear the president's defense because not enough Americans understand the fraud and abuse that Schiff and Nadler have committed. Americans are already on to Schiff and the Dems as disingenuous, hypocritical partisans. The impeachment sham ought to be over next week. And on bail reform and sanctuary and death, Americans must relearn as to elections, ideas matter. The confluence of leftist ideas, bail reform, prosecutorial refusal to go after theft, sanctuary non-enforcement of immigration laws, including refusal to deport dangerous criminals, promotes an atmosphere of lawlessness and acceptance of crime. Inevitably leads to a breakdown of law and order for everyone. The choice in 2020, Democrats versus America, leftist Dems versus patriots, Republicans, and the rule of law. Americans need ours in every office. Folks, in closing today, I want to tell you that this show is sponsored entirely by donations. If you can support this show, whether with a recurring donation or one-time donation, please go to americachemitalk.org, hit the donate button. I would so appreciate your support in keeping this show rolling and helping to expand this show in this vital election year of 2020. I also have a newsletter once a week, comes out on Fridays. If you'd like the newsletter, go to the website, americachemitalk.org, hit subscribe. I will send an email that summarizes the shows of the week, gives you links to all that we talked about. And it's a great way for you to catch up on the show and to share it with your friends. And most of all, thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk. Every time you do, tune in Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. 
I'll talk to you next time. Talk truth about America. Can you hear-